And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of, of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Thanks, Will. Good morning, everybody. We're going to continue in our Advent series in the Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 98. Or if you have your phone or tablet or whatever, find Psalm 98. <clears throat> so one day a, a man was on a long work trip uh, delivering some stuff uh, to a, um, a remote part of the country. There weren't a lot of stores or towns around or anything, and he was at least a mile away from the nearest town. Uh, and as he was driving towards it, he, he saw that there was like a little bus broken down on the side of the road. So he, he stopped and he, and he asked if he could help, and the man who was driving the bus was, was like, yeah, I would love some help. Um, I have 15 monkeys in my bus that I have to get to the zoo in the next town, like ASAP. Is there any way you would help me? And the man said, sure, I, I could help you out. The guy driving, driving the monkeys originally said, all right, I'll give you $500 now, and then just take the monkeys to the zoo, uh, and then meet me at the mechanic shop. It's the only one in town. You should be able to find it. Somebody will give you directions. So take the monkeys to the zoo, then meet me at the mechanic shop, and I'll give you another $500 after that. And he said, oh, man, great. You know, $1,000 to take some monkeys to the zoo. No problem. So he loads all the monkeys up in his work van. He drives off. Uh, the guy waiting with the bus, he waits, he waits. It takes a while. Um, Finally, a tow truck gets there, loads up the van, goes to the mechanic shop, and, and it really should only have taken about an hour to get to the zoo and then maybe five or ten minutes to get to the shop. But the guy with the bus, he was waiting hour one, nothing, hour two, nothing happened, hour three, nothing happened. And then finally, the guy who was taking the monkeys to the zoo showed up, and the guy with the bus said, oh man, that took a long time. Did you, did you take the monkeys to the zoo? He said, yep, I sure did. He said, great, here's your other $500. He said, great, they spent it all at the zoo, we're about to go to the movie theater. And the moral of the story is that clarifying expectations is very important. He said take the monkeys to the zoo, but he meant drop them off at the zoo. He didn't mean bring them back. And so that's what we're going to talk about today looking at Psalm 98. We're going to be talking about expectations. We're going to talk about expectations. We, we, we could talk when it comes to expectations. We could talk about a, a lot of different things. For a lot of us, we're at that point in life where uh, you're already kind of over, like, whatever you expected your life to be when you grew up. Anybody still, like, have a dream of what they want to be when they grow up, but they're considered grown up already? See, we all had expectations growing up of what you wanted to be when you grew up, what your life would look like. You know, we all kind of have expectations of when certain things would happen, and that oftentimes doesn't happen. We, we could talk about that. Uh, we could talk about when your favorite team goes into a game that they're expected to win, and then it doesn't happen, right? We, we could talk about, you know, there's a lot of us in the room who are, who are in the dating season of life, and so maybe you've had, like, Going into a few first dates, you've had expectations how it would go, and those have been shattered. <laughs> so now you're just kind of like, first dates are the worst, right? I mean, some of us, like, maybe we haven't been able to really find a groove in our marriage because there's expectations we have for our spouse that either 
we haven't said out loud to ourselves, much less them. And so there's just this constant friction, you know, or worse, you just say, hey, that's just not how my mom did it growing up. Don't say that one. (laughs) Or your expectations for other people are so unrealistic that you end up constantly frustrated at everyone else, that everyone else is the problem when the reality is you need to be better at managing and voicing your expectations. We could talk about how anyone who's been around a toddler, how toddlers shatter expectations better than any other humans on the planet. How many times have you asked a toddler to do a simple task such as pick up those shoes? How long do we expect that to take? Five seconds, 10 seconds? We took a 27 minute battle to pick up a pair of shoes yesterday with a toddler in our home. But today, what we're going to look at is we look at Psalm 98. We're going to look at and answer the question, what do I expect from God? Like, what, do, what do we expect from God? Maybe that sounds a little odd. Like Maybe the idea of, of expecting anything from God sounds like ludicrous. Like, hasn't God already done enough? Am I, am I allowed to expect things from God? Right? I would say we, it's not fair for us to expect just anything everything or anything from God, but there are certain things that I think God wants us to expect from him because God himself has set the expectations for us. And then that allows us to come to God with certain expectations. And then we can look to the, to the future and think and ponder and be excited about what we expect God to do. See, Psalm 98 is a kingly psalm as we're continuing our Advent series, looking how the psalms are kind of meditating on the way Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament and the hopes and dreams of Israel and salvation and accomplished salvation for the world. Uh, this psalm specifically was, would have been sang by the Israelites when they were in captivity in Babylon for, for generations, and then God finally delivered them and set them free and as they traveled back to their homeland, uh, they, they would have been singing this song directly to God, recognizing him as their savior. And so for us today, I want to look, we're going to look at that. We're gonna, and I think it'll be clear, the connections between this and what we know to be true about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so let me pray for us. I'll read the psalm, and then we'll get into the message. And once again, it, sometimes it just happens. We've got another three-point alliterated outline today, folks. If you grow up in church, maybe that does your, your heart some good. So let me, let me pray for us and we'll read the psalm. Jesus, thank you that we get to be here and gathered under your name. Father, give us eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us ears to hear the words you have for us. Give us minds that are open to changing to your truths and give us hearts that, that allow us to fall deeply in love with you today because of who you are because of what you've done, and because of what you're going to do. Jesus, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So here's the first part. The first three verses I want to look at reflecting on the past. When we're talking about God setting expectations for us, we can can realize those expectations and we can think on them as we reflect on the past. See, God, God sets our expectations because of what he's already done. And it's our job just to not be forgetful of those things. When we look back, we can think about what he's done. Look, it says, sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. See, for the Jewish people, 
uh, hearing these verses, hearing these psalms, they, they would have uh, immediately thought back to maybe even they were singing this song and it was written on their way home from Babylon. So, so for us as Americans, um, for those of us who are American, it, it, it's really hard to think about like an invading nation coming in and ripping you from your home and everything you know and love, carrying you back to your nation where you don't know the language, you don't understand the culture, and it's a totally different forced religion upon you. Okay, so that's what had been going on for the Israelites for generations. And then God comes, he delivers them, he sets them free. They, they migrate home back to their homeland that God promised to give them. And so when they're saying things like his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for us, those words, right hand and holy arm, that's what God used. Uh, that's the terms used whenever God said he was sending Moses to go to Egypt to set the people free. Uh, that's what God, that's what the words that were used whenever Gideon went to defeat the Midianites to save Israel. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures of God doing amazing things, the word like God has done this with an outstretched arm. By his holy hand, he has done it. And so those things would have been on their minds. And so as we look, verses two and three, it says, the Lord has made salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of their God. I mean, for them, this would have been, as a Jewish people, in that time when this was written and when they were singing it aloud together, this would have been very vivid images would have popped up in their minds. Very, like, they didn't have TV or books or the things that we have to fill our imagination. Their imagination was captured by sitting around, you know, the table at the end of a long day and their family telling stories of how God had worked salvation through his people, through his chosen ones who have come and delivered them. And so they would have thought immediately to kind of Exodus. Exodus is like the blueprint for salvation for the whole rest of the biblical story. And I like the way the old translations put it in, in Exodus 2 where, where a new Pharaoh comes up who doesn't recognize Joseph. Uh, he enslaves the, Jew, the, the, the Hebrew people and, and sends them to really harsh forced labor. And then it says that his people, it says they sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw and he remembered them. And then we know how the story ends, right? There's the plague and there's the Red Sea and, and God saves his people. And some of us, even today, have sighed or are sighing because we're weighed down by bondage. Maybe it's bondage of our own making a sin pattern that we refuse to break or to bring into the light, confessing to other people. Maybe it's bondage by you just have like a really mean boss. Bondage because of anxiety and fear. Bondage by debt or the price of living and we've sighed. And we wonder, like that word picture, they sighed, they groaned because of their bondage. And you're just wondering, does God hear me? Like, can God hear me? Can we expect God to hear us? And I would say yes, because the blueprint for salvation that God has proved over and over from, from the time of Adam and Eve where he, he cast them out of his presence, but he provided a way for their shame to be covered with the animal skins. From that all the way to Jesus coming and then the testimony, what, what some people call the third testament of church history where, where over and over God's promises and his goodness where God rescued and God made a way 
We think of those things, and so we know that God hears us. When we reflect on what God has done, the true story of Scripture and the experiences and testimonies of those around us that we've heard who loves God, when we remember those things, we can have expectation that God hears us and wants to work in our lives. The word in verse 3 when it says God remembered his love, does anybody in their translation have a different word there? Verse 3, it says God has remembered his love. Anybody got another one? Mercy, that's a good, loving kindness. Anybody got, a, got that? Old translation. Yeah, you do? Okay, great. Great, well, the, the, the Hebrew word there, you guys want to say a Hebrew word that sounds funny? Great, we're going to do it. All right, so this, is, this, is, this gets real throaty, okay? You ready? It's chesed. Can you say that? All right, let me count to three and then we'll do it. That was bad. One, two, three. Chesed. Great. Chesed. It's the word that means like, like covenant faithfulness, right? The, the Lord, the Lord, a Lord compassionate and gracious, full of steadfast love. That would have been that word there, the word for mercy. We don't really have a direct correlation from ancient Hebrew to English for it. Uh, but anybody ever met somebody with, the, with a kid? They named their kid Hesed. That's how you know they're like really Pentecostal or charismatic. That's how you know it's like, I want to go to their prayer meetings. You know what I'm saying? I'm serious. But, but anyways, so, so the idea though, it, it's the idea, it's covenant love. Okay, so, so a covenant is when two parties enter a covenant, they enter an agreement, and they do it based on an authority or a power higher than themselves, okay? So that's why, as an old school guy, I like marriages being done in like a church or a place of worship because it sets the image of like getting married under, some, under an authority higher than yourself and the people are holding you accountable to it. If, you do, if you're doing the barn thing, no shame, all right? Those are really fun too and they're beautiful and God's whole creation, I get it. But, 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 but they, they, they enter a covenant based on power higher than themselves but since God's the ultimate power, there is no power greater than him, when he entered into a covenant relationship with his people, right, the blueprint being set for the Hebrew people in Exodus, and then for those of us now who have, who have placed our faith in Jesus through what he accomplished in, in his sin and wrath-satisfying death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, we enter into a covenant relationship with God. It's a covenant that's based on God's own character and his power and his person and goodness. That's why when Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we can know that that's true because it's not based on how we feel in any given moment, but it's based on Jesus telling us that it's true because he cannot, be, he cannot lie. He cannot tell, tell an untruth. And that's why... Paul said that neither angel nor demon nor power or principality can take us away from him. It's because when we've entered a covenant relationship with God through faith in Jesus, it's based on God's power and authority, not on any other power and authority. That, that's why that, that we who are called by his name, why we say we're, call, we're a people called by his name. Because his name is, is, is totally, completely trustworthy and powerful. Like, like, I bet if we did a raise of hands, here's why this is important. Because for those of us who have a hard time reflecting on, on what God may have done in the past, like, like maybe sometimes the moment seems so dark that you can't remember what God showed you in the light. That's why church is so important, because as we, as we gather together, we know each other's story, we walk through life together, we can remember times where, man, I remember praying for that person 
And now I'm seeing the other side of it. Man, I remember whenever I was here sharing struggles, sharing situations with, with these people, and now they're seeing me come out on the other side. Like, like part of me wants to do like an old-fashioned testimony Sunday where we're just like, hey, anybody got something good God's done for them? And we pass a mic around. But we're not going to do that because, because uh, Paul said to, to have orderly worship. Uh, but like if we did it, if we did that, I bet everyone in here, would have a story or a time where they thought there was no way out, where they were in a season of bondage, like Exodus said, and then they sighed and they groaned out to God and he heard them and he remembered them. And and the only way they got out, they would say, the only way I got out was by the grace of God. Whether it was financial, relational, medical, spiritual, any of it, you name it, God saves holistically and he works in every area of our lives. And there are, there are times where we as God's people, we turn to him and we cry and he makes a way. Like I was talking just this week, Jared Spencer, one of our elders, we got coffee this week and we were kind of reflecting on this and sharing stories of how we got to where we are. And I was like, Jared, I remember like when Anna and I first got married, she was a full-time nursing school student. I was, a, I was an associate pastor at a small church in our hometown. And it was like, we were commuting and driving a lot. And it was like, if one of our cars broke down, it would be catastrophic. You know, like anybody ever been in that? Maybe you're in that season of life right now. Let me just, I remember driving. I remember driving to and from the church and I'd pray, all right, God, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years and it said their clothes or sandals never wore out. If you can do that, you can take care of some good years. All right, like I'm just like, I, I can't afford four new tires right now. And man, like we're here now and like, we're not broke. I don't know, like, <laughs> Like, I mean, it's just even little things like that, like the way that we look back and we think of how God's worked in our lives, we've called out to God and he's done that. And then of course, I mean, gosh, we get to stand here, sit here today, look around at the people around us and we, and we, we think about the manger. And it's Advent season, we think about what Jesus has done for us. Like, can we just take a second and just, just think and meditate on what God has accomplished through his sending his son Jesus to us. Like, like 1 Peter, man, let me just turn there. This is too good to mess up on quoting it. First Peter 1, he starts out the, with his letter with, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, that's the Greek word for that Hebrew word of covenant love, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Like, it, like if, if your faith is feeling dead, I would encourage you to reflect on the reality that Jesus has risen from the grave and is in heaven and shielding you by his power until he comes back and, and finally fully realizes the goodness of his new creation. Like, like Jesus, he saved us. He leads us and guides us with a light yoke and an easy burden. And, and so... If reflecting on the past is something that, that's, that's maybe something you're not that good at, let me, let me give you, can I give you two 
uh, action steps to think on, kind of homework, okay? If, if this kind of hits you, you're like, man, I, I need to do a better job of just remembering what God's done. One, um, I, was, I was told to do this by a mentor probably a decade ago and, and do it on a regular basis when I feel like, man, I just, I just can't see how God's working now. A way that I see the way God's worked in the past is I, I get a piece of paper and I draw a line and I, and I start, uh, make a timeline, and I start on the left at the day that, that I came and I, and I gave my, my life to Jesus through faith in what he's done for me. And then I just kind of take time, and on the right-hand side, I just write today. And I just try to go through and think of just major big events where I can remember calling out to God and he answered prayer, even if it was small things, even if it was, yeah, riding in my 2005 Kia Spectra with 270,000 miles on it and it just didn't break. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is, that is like, but God. You know what I'm saying? Like, only he can do that. It just happened, okay? So, like, even writing that down, like writing, like writing a timeline of God's showing up in your life. And then another way is, like, it's, it's hard to know the story of God if you don't learn the story of God. And so I would just encourage you, like, maybe even start today, find a Bible reading plan and stick to it. Like maybe it's a Bible in a year, maybe it's just the Old Testament in the next year or the gospel, you know, the New Testament in a year. I'm not trying to get you to like, like pass a theology course. I'm just asking, like learn what the Bible says. See what God has to say for himself. Like pick a Bible reading plan and stick to it. And maybe next year at Christmas you end at the culmination of Jesus coming. And, and you can say, man, like in this past year I've learned all of these things about God. And if, it's, and if that seems intimidating, maybe you've tried that and you failed, it brings up more questions than answers for you, please, I'm serious, shoot me an email or, or one of the staff an email. We would love either for one of us to meet with you on a regular basis or, or set you up with one of the, some people in our church that would like to meet with you on a regular basis and walk through a journey through God's word with you. We'd love, we'd love to help you do that. So that's reflecting in the past. Here, here's the second way that, that we see our expectations set by God, and it's by remaining in the present. Let me, look at, let me read verses four through six. It says, shout to the Lord all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord of the harp and with the harp and the sound of singing with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. See, there's something, there's something powerful about when you're going to God, whether that's coming to church and, and singing songs, whether it's through private prayer, whether it's, it's sitting down alone, opening the Bible, like when you do something like that, like when it comes to praise, when it comes to worship, when it comes to meeting with God, what do you expect when you go into it? Like, like when you came to church today, what did you expect to happen? Like you probably expected something like this to happen, like somebody to stand up with a Bible and talk for a while. You probably expected some songs, some prayer. You probably expected, you know, to, to crack a few like jokes with people or you're a super introvert and you're like I expect you just to go straight in my seat and for no one to talk to me and get my notepad out whatever like we came in with expectations how many of us came in today expecting to meet God like how many of us showed up to church today or maybe you opened your bible this morning before you came to church or, or one time you prayed this week whatever it is how many of you did that and you expected to have an encounter with the living God who has been working in and through humans' lives since the beginning of creation. I love the story of, of, of Charles Spurgeon. He started preaching uh, at least once a week when he was 19 years old, and he had a long 30-plus-year 
tenure uh, pastoring and preaching. And, and um, as they, you know, they'd transcribe his notes and send it out and stuff like that. It's like the, the early 1900s in, over in England. And, and they found out that, that after years and years and years of, of his ministry, that someone, th- like through hearing him preach, had given their life to Jesus in faith. And somebody you know, came to him, it was a preaching cohort from a, from a seminary, came and met with him, and they brought that up. It, it had just been released in some magazine that that was true. And they kind of were like, hey man, give us the secret sauce. What is it? Like, like, what, like what do you do different? Like how do you prepare your sermons? What do you do? They were looking for like a tangible thing. And he said, he said, the Bible says that God wants all people to come to know him in faith. So when I preach the gospel, I just expect that God will do his part. It's just expectation. Like when he showed up to do his thing in worship, he expected God to do his part. But like, like when you pray, do you expect that God hears you? Or is it just kind of a, we'll see what happens. Like, like John Wesley, I love this, the, the founder of the, the Methodist church, traveling to England on a ship. And, and they met unfavorable winds. So they met winds that were going the opposite way of where they wanted to go. It was delaying their trip, which back then meant, you know, you're running out of food, you're running out of fresh water, you have all these people on the ship. How do you do that? And so uh, a few others that were, that were traveling, they went up on the, on, the, on the deck of the ship, and they circled up, and they all prayed. And uh, Wesley prayed, and John Wesley, and it was this really powerful prayer. And he, and he got done praying. And he just walked back down to his cabin. And as he was walking to his cabin, the winds just immediately changed and started going. You could say that's coincidence, or you could say maybe there's something to that, right? And so when, when, they, when, they, came and, when they came and asked him about it, he, he was like almost blown away that they would question. It's like, why would God not answer our prayers? Doesn't that what, isn't that what God does? In a biography, uh, it says that on the, on the sudden and favorable change of wind, Wesley made no remark. So fully did he expect to be heard that he took it for granted that he was heard. So when we see verses like this, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, burst into jubilant song, make music to the Lord of the harp, the harp at the sound of singing. When you do that, shout for joy before the Lord. Do some of us not do that? Do we have a hard time singing out loud when we come to church? And no shame, I I get it, everybody's where they are. But I'm just wondering, for those of us who have hesitation for not using our body to worship where we raise our hands out or maybe we hold our heart or maybe we, we feel like, man, man, I feel like I should just like get down and pray right now. We don't because we don't expect that God is present in that moment and hears us. Like, like what do we expect when we go to God? Because James tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And he tells us that Elijah, when he prayed, that it wouldn't rain for three years, it didn't. And then when he prayed that it would rain, it did. And then James says, Elijah's a person just like you and me. See, Elijah had all the stories of God in the Old Testament. He had the same first five books of the Bible we did. He had the same testimonies of God working. The difference was that he expected God to hear his prayer. The response was different. See, it says, verse 6, shout before the Lord the King. That's a phrase about presence. And God is present with us. Like, do you know what you get when you enter the presence of God? You get him. What more could we ever want? So what do you expect God to do when you pray? What do you expect God to do when you worship? How close do you expect God to be when you draw near to him? 
And I'll just encourage you because of the expectations that he's placed, that he is a God of presence, that he has drawn near, that, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that, that the word took on flesh and lived among us. Like, what do you expect to happen? And I would just encourage you to, in those expectations, remain in the presence. Remain in the present. And then here's the last one, verses 7 through 9. Here's how we get to rejoice in the future. It says, the sea, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy together. Uh, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. See, Jesus is coming back. And that's really good news. See, the whole psalm kind of builds up to this point. We can remember what God has done. We respond to that in the present. And then we look forward to the future. And that's why this is a great Advent psalm for us today. Because God has made his salvation known. And his name is Jesus. He has revealed his righteousness to the nations. And his name is Jesus. Jesus has come and judged the world and the powers that held us captive in darkness have been defeated by Jesus and our enemies which is sin and death have been nailed to the cross the, the two words to describe his reign the rule of Jesus is is righteousness and equity that means that his salvation is making all wrong things right holistically physically spiritually socially relationally all wrong things made right and equity just means uprightness means that he's going to do no wrong. He's not going to build up an account of doing wrong things. It's only going to be in the positive. See, Jesus correcting all things and doing it perfectly. Charles Spurgeon, on a reflection of this psalm, he said, he said this is the joy of it. This is the joy that we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. He says, this is the joy of it. There's no tyrant or weakling. He's not going to oppress the good or indulge the vain. His law is good. His action, right his government, the embodiment of justice. If there was ever a thing to rejoice in upon this poor, travailing earth, it's the coming of a deliverer, the ascension to the universal throne of such a governor. See, God's not going to put up with evil. It exists now. We're in that time of in-between where we've seen what Jesus can do, and yet Jesus has not come to fully do what he's going to do. So, so we live in a, in a broken world now, but what we know he's going to do is good because of what Jesus has shown us. His perfect life and yet choosing death to overcome evil. Like think about how badly God must hate sin and brokenness and wickedness. So much so that not only did he come himself to try to be perfect, but he died at the hands of the ones who have made a mess of his good world in order to accomplish it. See, that's a good God. People say, like, well, what kind of God would let, like, evil enter his world? To which we can say back, man, isn't it good that God gives everyone a chance to come to him on their own accord before he comes back and gives everyone what they ultimately asked for and worked towards? See, we look to the future coming with joy because we see what Jesus has already accomplished in his first coming. And while we, all of us, have difficulty submitting to the lordship of Jesus when we see him face to face, no arguments or anxieties or fears or worries or dashed expectations of who he is in our lives, 
could overtake the reality of his perfect love and his presence. Imagine a government where corruption doesn't exist. Have we ever seen one on earth where there's no corruption? Man, that hits hard going into an election year, doesn't it? Like imagine a ruler where there's not a thing that makes you question motives or integrity. Like no one's posting something on Twitter about him. Like imagine a world where there's no injustice and oppression. But the king, he comes and he provides enough for everyone so that they have what they need and we all find everything we need from our king. And his name is Jesus. So as we close today, let me ask, what do you expect from Jesus to happen this Christmas season? What do you expect to happen? Do you expect to hear from him? Do you expect for him to hear you? Will the presence and the music and the decorations be enough or will only a fresh encounter with Jesus be the only thing good enough this Christmas season? So let me just encourage you as we go, another action step. All right, so I, so I challenge you to maybe a Bible reading plan or doing the timeline thing. Another action step for you is to, to set aside a time every day. Every day. I'm talking like three minutes to be silent before God and just ask him, what are you telling me today? And expect him to answer the question. Like, we set meetings with people all the time and we expect them to show up, right? We do it for work. How many of us have on our calendars work meetings scheduled this week? Okay, all right. We all expect each other to show up at those. What if you set a, a, like literally set a meeting time on your phone every day to meet with Jesus and expect that he's gonna show up if you do? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for making your goodness known. So Jesus, this week, as we reflect on the past, remind us of those good things that you've done. Jesus, if we're having a hard time remembering or, or, or reminding ourselves of what you've done, if we, as we open your scriptures, give us those truths. Show it to us. Jesus, as we do, enter those times of prayer to remain in the present, recognizing that we are coming before the King and that if anyone draws near to you, you will draw near to us. And then Jesus, as we look to the future, as we rejoice in your future coming, God, we feel the reality of, of a broken world. God, from, from the news articles we read to just the, that phone call from the doctor we get to the hurt that we feel in relationships, Jesus, we feel the brokenness, but we rejoice that you one day are coming so that we can experience the way everlasting with you as our king here on earth, made totally new where all wrong things have been made right. Jesus, we look forward to that day, but for now, as we stand and sing and worship you, God, we expect you to be here. So Holy Spirit, come. Lead us and guide us and be with us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.